All right, folks, go be great. Episode 15 brought to you by the folks at Hardo Sports. It is going to be now Monday, October 17th, and game five here in New York between the New York Yankees and the Cleveland Guardians will be happening in about 19 hours or so. I believe that's a 7 o'clock first pitch, just 10 miles away from the Gobi Great Studios. And folks, it's been a wild ride to get to Game 5. Uh, I'm going to start off with the Yankees series, kind of a comprehensive look at the last four games against the Cleveland Guardians. Um, it's really the only playoff series that I've really been locked into. I wish I had more uh, of a take on these Padres and Phillies wins out in the National League, but I don't. I really was not locked in. I mean, the Padres and the Dodgers games were all starting at 10 o'clock late. Uh, I didn't really want to watch anything um, a couple nights ago and the Yankees got walked off on um, in game three in Cleveland. Uh, Game two as well. You know, I, I really was having a tough tough time after those two losses enough to the point that I didn't really want to see what was going on in the other games. Um, I, I kind of did tune into the Astros. I mean, I saw most of game one, uh, game two, I saw a decent amount of, and game three didn't really see much of at all. Uh, it was family weekend at my school, Sacred Heart University and a big win for them over Stonehill College, a new member of the Northeast Conference this year. Um, So I didn't get to see much of that Astros-Mariners saga game three, where it was an 18-inning, one-nothing win for the Astros, which clinches them the American League uh, Championship Series, you know, home spot. You know, they'll be hosting Wednesday game one against the winner of Cleveland and New York tonight. The Padres and the Phillies will start up, I, I believe, in in San Diego on Tuesday night because the Padres were the five seed and the Phillies were the six seed. So um, not what I had coming out of the National League, uh, but the American League, I could be right on with one more win for the New York Yankees. So I'm going to start off uh, with the roster because – you know, on the last episode, I talked to you guys in between the wild card round and game one starting. Um, I did have a prediction for the for the 26 men that would be on this roster. And I, you know, there was a couple of things that not that I got wrong necessarily. Um, well, no, I, I did get them wrong. I didn't really know how badly DJ's injury was going to affect him to the point where they brought him back for the last three games of the regular season, almost just to test out to see how he was. And unfortunately, um, he was unable to go and they left him off the roster. So I also did predict the starters, right, which wasn't really too hard to, to figure out. But one thing that almost ended up uh, coming back to bite, well, I will say that it, came back to bite MLB anyway, because I don't think that they wanted Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, four games in a row in this Yankee and Cleveland series. Um, It rained on Thursday night, which turned game two into an afternoon game on Friday. And I think Yankee Stadium 
uh, for an afternoon game, just kind of the way the shadow is, it's always going to be a low scoring game. Um, I don't think MLB cares for the playoffs, whether it's, you know, high scoring, low scoring. I think they just want every game to be entertaining and close. And they got that in this series. Um, four one, the Yankees took game one, Garrett Cole pitched great, a home run for Anthony Rizzo and the sixth or seventh inning, I believe the sixth inning off of Cal Quantrill was the deciding factor. Game two on Friday, it was a good duel between Nestor Cortez and Shane Justin Bieber. Um, as Bob Costas called him Justin Bieber in the beginning of the sixth inning. Almost unbelievable that this guy has worked 30 years in the industry, plus actually longer than 30 years, um, to be making mistakes like that. And I overall think that he's had a poor series as the play-by-play um, guy for this game. Uh, for the series, excuse me. Fortunately, his last game will be tonight as um, I don't even know the guy's name, unfortunately, but the Milwaukee Brewers broadcaster, and he also does a lot of NBA games. Um, he will be on the ALCS and on the NLCS will be Joe Davis, and he won't have to worry because his Dodgers are home. Um, so in terms of the roster, Another, a couple of things that I did not know of going into it. Um, Scott Efros is going to be out for not only just the remainder of these playoffs, but I believe for the remainder of next year because he will be undergoing Tommy John, um, which is pretty crazy. Ron Marinaccio also, which I did know, is not on the roster. Um, And just not having Efros is kind of big because I think they were slotting him in as the closer. Um, I think now, based on the way that the Yankees have utilized the bullpen and the fact that Wandy Peralta got a nine or seven pitch save in game four tonight, um, I think they are going to use Wandy as the closer, maybe. Um, maybe they're just not going to assign a role still because just based on the fact that Wandy is one of two lefties on, you know, in the bullpen and three total on the staff. Um, I think that they're going to want to use them when there are big lefty outs to get, especially if it's going to be against the Astros um, next week, because Jordan Alvarez is the scariest hitter in baseball, not named Aaron judge, or apparently at this point, Harrison Bader, who, in 86 regular season games, had five home runs between the Cardinals and the Yankees, and now has three home runs in four games against the Guardians in the division series. And we're all just wild about Harry around here in New York, folks, playing a great defensive center field. And anytime you're hitting bo- uh, home runs for the Bronx Bombers, uh, you're going to be well received, especially in October while wearing the Yankees trademarked uh, October turtleneck which i believe he's the only one wearing i know that that used to be a big thing back in the day um so we'll see if as it gets a little colder and hopefully baseball will extend at least into next week and later into this month and even maybe into november for the yankees um that we'll see some more of those turtlenecks out there um so garrett cole shoves in game one nestor cortez does a good job in game two but unfortunately, Emmanuel Classe shuts us down 
in the late innings. And we do not hold on in game two at Yankee Stadium on Friday afternoon. They travel to Cleveland, play Saturday night. Tristan McKenzie and Severino. Um, Tristan McKenzie honestly didn't have it compared to how Severino was pitching. Um, IKF, a bunch of horrible plays in the field that I think kind of cost the Yankees this game slowly but surely. Also, some interesting moves by Aaron Boone with the bullpen. Um, I know that there was a lot of controversy in New York about Clay Holmes not coming into game three. And I think if you look at it uh, in hindsight, yeah, you probably would want Clay Holmes in there. And, you know, he looked really good tonight, which was awesome to see. And at the end of the day, they didn't want to use him uh, back-to-back Friday and Saturday. Um, but they're going to have to use them back-to-back today and tomorrow, uh, you know, because you have to imagine that he is one of your best pitchers out there right now. And the Yankees are starting Jamison Talion, who has only pitched in this series in game two on Friday, and he came in in the 10th and allowed a couple of blue pits that brought in the game-winning runs for the Cleveland Guardians. Um, It honestly sounded like doomsday around here. Going into Cleveland, tied 1-1. And especially after last night's loss on a walk-off hit by Oscar Gonzalez, he now has two walk-off hits in the playoffs and one go-ahead hit in game two. So he has been really a tough out for both the Yankees um, and the Rays to have in the first couple of games of these playoffs. Um, He comes up to the SpongeBob theme song when the games are in Cleveland, which is pretty cool. Um, And he's been scary to get out. Um, So that brought us to game. Oh, I want to talk about the game three stuff first. So I think the biggest thing was not the fact that Clay Holmes wasn't used because like I said, There's no way he was going to pitch four days in a row, and you need him. So having Saturday off, it kind of makes sense. Um, My problem was more so with the fact that Wandy Peralta, and once again, in hindsight, I wanted Wandy Peralta. I mean, looking back at it, I did want Wandy Peralta in that game in the ninth. But if you look back at it, you know, Peralta pitched on Tuesday, day off. Then another day off because of the cancellation. He pitched Friday. And then Saturday, he threw 29 pitches. So seemingly, you would have thought he was down for today. And that's your best reliever being down in a winner. I mean, if and if you lose, you go home and you have to win just to go back to the Bronx and try to win, you know, now on Monday to advance. So I didn't think that was the best move looking back at it. Um, but it worked out because Wandy Peralta came in and got the save anyway tonight. Um, and ultimately on Saturday night in game three, the Yankees turned to Clark Schmidt to try to mop up after Wandy Peralta let a couple guys on base with a couple of blue pits. Um, and Schmidt also had pitched on Friday. And it's not that Clark Schmidt's good. He's had a great year, um, whether he's been asked to start or come out of the pen for the Yankees all year. Um, but the end of the the fact of the matter is 
even though Clay Holmes has come back from injury and you want to make sure that he is okay and not put him in jeopardy of being re-injured, which understandable. Um, Clark Schmidt has never worked back-to-back in his career, and Clay Holmes is a bullpen pitcher by trade. And so I think looking back at it, you probably would have rather just put in Clay Holmes there instead of Clark Schmidt. Um, But at the end of the day, the Yankees are coming back to New York for game five. Maybe not what you hoped for when the season, when the series started, because I think Yankee fans would have liked to take taken care of this team by now, especially given the fact that you won game one game two, you took a two nothing lead in the first um, and game three, you took a two run lead into the ninth and couldn't close it up. So I overall think that the Yankees have outplayed the Guardians for most of this series. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't shown in the win column. Um, and now, once again, we go to Monday's game five. It will be Aaron Savali for the Guardians, and it will be um, Jamison Talion for the New York Yankees. I think Nestor Cortez will be first out of the pen because I think the first minute that Talion gives up two base runners in a row or two base runners in an inning. That will be the bullpen getting up very quickly. I think Herman uh, will be next, depending on how late in the game it already is. Um, And then I think between Lasagna, um, that's how I have him typed up, between Johnny Loizaga, Clay Holmes, and Wandy Peralta, um, those will be... Oh, and you know what? They didn't lose... They did not use Trevino or Schmidt tonight, so... Those also are guys that will be utilized. At the end of the day, it's all hands on deck. The only pitcher, I th- only pitchers that I think are off of the board are Garrett Cole and Luis Severino. Um, and we'll see what happens. I think I'm glad that the Yankees did not put IKF out there after a rough day in the field on Sunday. Um, Aaron Boone answering questions on the Yes Network post game after game four said that it will likely be Oswaldo Cabrera once again at shortstop. And um, I projected Peraza being on this roster for the ALDS. And I think in this case, it would have been pretty good to have him um, because I did not have Aaron Hicks on the roster at all. And Aaron Hicks is on the roster because the Yankees ended up taking 14 position players and only seven bullpen pitchers in addition to the three starters and the two starters, Talion and Herman, that would be out there in the pen as well. Um, and so Aaron Hicks ends up getting a start last night in Cleveland in left field. And I just think he was injured at the end of the season and he obviously didn't have a good season overall, um, but he had the calf injury and it, there was a play earlier in the game and in the third inning tonight where he just didn't really run after it. And I, I can't think that it was effort. I'm going with that. He's still not a hundred percent. The ball dropped and a run scored, but he did make a good play by making sure that Rosario, the man on third knew that he was ready to throw the ball home if he darted for home. But once he stayed, he got, Ramirez between first and second and then a good Glaber Torres throw to Rizzo at first slaps down the tag and that ends the inning 
And that could have been a pivotal moment because it was going to be first and third with two outs for Josh Naylor, who later in the game, or excuse me, to lead off the next inning, ended up hitting a solo home run. So, oh, and overall has had Garrett Cole's number, especially in the playoffs. So a good play, but overall would have liked to see if it came down to this with Ikea finally being benched in game 165, that it would have been Peraza starting at short and Cabrera staying out there and left. Uh, because now going into game five, I mean, it doesn't seem like Ikef is going to play. And if he doesn't play tonight and you win, uh, I mean, you go 2-0 in games he doesn't start in the playoffs. And Cabrera is clearly the better shortstop of the two, but he's also your starting left fielder. And so I think having Peraza on the ALCS roster would make a lot of sense. Um, the only way I think it doesn't make sense is if Benintendi somehow comes back, then you start him in left field and Cabrera starts at short. No problem. Um, so I'm going to go around the infield and kind of just give a review of how each player is doing so far in the playoffs. Um, talk a little bit more about game five. Uh, and then I want to move on to Houston real quick. Like I said, I didn't see much of the Phillies or the Padres. I'm sure that will be an awesome NLC uh, series uh, because Philadelphia is a great sports town. Um, San Diego, the Padres are just an awesome team this year. You have Juan Soto that was acquired at the deadline. Josh Hader looks like he's back in in, you know, best closer alive form, which at, at one point in the last couple of years he was because Edwin Diaz had a bad year for the Mets a couple of years ago. And it was clearly Josh Hader. I mean, he had a point four seven ERA or something crazy like that. Um, like halfway through last year, which just makes no sense. Um, and he's back to 100 with the fastball, a good slider. Um, and he's been clearly a pivotal part of the Padres getting to this point because anytime that the Padres have won, Josh Hader has to come in and close it down. And clearly you've seen the Yankees struggling with that. It is a big, uh, just, you take it for granted when you have a good closer. Um, and clearly the Padres have one. And then, you know, Manny Machado as the leader of this team at third base after I think there were definitely questions about his character um, after his season with the Dodgers or his half season with the Dodgers a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, Padres are doing really good without Fernando Tatis. The starting rotation is really good, but the Phillies also a really good team. Robbie Thompson, a New York Yankees uh, bench coach back in the day um, took over for Joe Girardi in the middle of the year. They came in third in the NL East, but that was not because they were a bad team. That was more so because the Mets and the Braves had some of the best regular seasons um, that either franchise has had in a long time. And Phillies just kept winning games. They got in the playoffs. They upset the Cardinals, which was big. And then, you know, the Braves as the defending champions, I told you that it was going to be tough for them to win. I thought it would be against the Cardinals, but the Phillies were the team that got out of that wild card series. And now they are the team that will try to make it to the World Series out of the NL against the Padres. Um, so from 
left to right in the outfield, it has been Cabrera, Bader, and Aaron Judge. Um, Cabrera hit a home run in game three and has played a great left field and now shortstop. So he is overall past the test and has been an integral part so far of what's going on for the New York Yankees here in the playoffs. Um, in center field, Harrison Bader, I know I mentioned it earlier in the pod, but five home runs in 86 regular season games is crazy. To have now three and four games in the playoffs is awesome. All of these balls have been the same hard hit line drive into left field um, that gets into the seats. And it did not help the team win in game three, unfortunately, after his home run made it a two-run lead late in the game. Um, But he's played an awesome defensive center field, which is the reason we got him. It just added that now he has a 1.2 OPS in these four games. Um, And it's going to be a, it's going to be interesting to see if he can just, I, I don't necessarily care if he hits another home run the rest of this, of the season. Uh, I would like to see him keep playing great defensive center. Like I said, that's the reason we got him. Um, And if he could, keep getting on base that would be fine if if he wants to hit home runs uh like i said we're all just wild about harry um and he has been a great fit with this yankee team so far aaron judge i i'm not gonna say anything about aaron judge in a negative manner because you can honestly say that if aaron judge had let's just say a 50 home run season that maybe the Yankees were the wild card instead of the division winner. I mean, he was that integral to the fact that the Yankees are this good right now and in the playoffs and, and as the, the division winner of the AL East, like he can, you can say at some points carried an entire franchise for multiple months of an MLB season when there was not much other production going on. And you can kind of see it right now in the playoffs. I mean, Harrison Bader has three home runs. Oswaldo Cabrera has a home run, a two-run home run. And neither of those players started the season on the Yankees roster. So outside of that, you have a two-run home run by Rizzo, a two-run home run by Stan, and that's it. The Yankees haven't done much on offense in this series. They've hit the home run, and that's it. And that's the way they're built. But I'm not going to get mad and, oh, well, Aaron Judge struck out eight times in the first two games. I mean, listen, he went on a home run chase in the last two weeks of the season where he clearly got a little bit out of the mechanics. The stance was a little bit different. Um, I think he opened his stance a little bit. I think his hands moved a little bit. And I think he got a little bit off. And it's fine. It happens. Am I going to be mad? No. Would it have been sad if we got knocked out in this round and it, and you look at the stats and that's what it reads for Aaron judge, you know, just the one home run in game three and, and that's it. Yeah, it would have been because people would have made the argument that you don't sign him because he's not a postseason player or be, that he deserves to be booed, which is bullshit. But um, at the end of the day, he's the leader of this team. He hit a home run in game three. He also hit a ball 110 miles an hour, but straight up into the air, and it got caught at the track by Stephen Kwan. 
um, the Cleveland Guardians rookie left fielder. So the swing is back. Uh, he hit a hard ball in game four up the middle for an infield single. Um, but he's playing a good right field. And I have to imagine that uh, if the Yankees win tonight or later tonight in New York, that Aaron Judge will do something um, to ensure that the reason the Yankees won is because of him. Um, ideally, knowing that Aaron Hicks started a game tonight for the Yankees, like it would be so nice to have the potential of Giancarlo Stanton playing the field, but I don't think it's possible. Um, also, just given the fact that the open spot is in left field and that Stanton played four games only in left field this season, I don't think it's likely that you see anything from what you saw in game four, which was Glaber Torres leading off playing second, Judge and Wright, um, Rizzo at first, Stan as the DH. Um, I forget how the rest of the lineup was, honestly, after that. But Bader in center, uh, Cabrera at short, Donaldson at third, and Aaron Hicks in left. Trevino, I think, will will catch game five because Savali's a righty and Higgy didn't do much in his one start in this series, which I did predict that he would get a start. Um, especially with four games in four days with two travel. Um, I can't say days because they didn't have off, but with two flights back and forth between New York and Cleveland in those four days as well. I'm not surprised that Higgy got a start. Um, and I would have loved to see Carp get a chance to DH in this series. I think he only pinched it in game one so far. Um, but we'll see if this, if they are able to win, if this would trigger Peraza getting some a start and at least a, a roster spot to a roster spot at first in the ALCS. So I'm gonna hold my breath, folks. I, you know, I wasn't confident at the end of Game Three after everything happened and the Yankees got walked off on, um, but. After about an hour of being upset with, you know, everything that had happened in the series previous, I kind of just tried to forget it all and know that, listen, this is the reason you have Garrett Cole. You paid him $36 million, not for his performance in the regular season, but for performance and specifically just getting wins in the playoffs. And he did just that um, tonight, seven innings. Uh, I believe it was six hits, one walk, eight strikeouts. Uh, the one home run to Josh Naylor, whatever. I mean, Josh Naylor went around the bases acting like a buffoon. And that was the last run that the, the Guardians put up. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the last run the Guardians put up in the series. I think tomorrow, uh, there's 17 rookies that made their debut for the Cleveland Guardians. They're going into the biggest game of their careers. And it's going to be 50,000 people screaming and yelling. Uh, they've never played in, you know, they played in a game one scenario like that and they lost game two. It was an afternoon game after rain out after two games off. Uh, I think it was just a fugazi day in the Bronx. And I think tomorrow night, it's going to be tough for this team to get anything done against the Yankees. I know Talion uh, didn't look good in his 
spot out of the bullpen, but he's a starter, so that makes sense. Um, and he also let up a couple bloops, so I'm still not worried. Um, you know, like I said, Boone will be quick with the leash on Talion. I think it'll be depending on how he thinks Nestor is feeling. It'll be between Nestor and Herman as the first long relief guys to try to get it to the next little grouping of whoever they choose between Trevino, Loisaga, Holmes, and Wandy to finish it up. Um, I'm excited. I'm nervous. It's playoff baseball. It's everything you could want. Like I love baseball in the regular season when, you know, there's not high stakes to win every game and to hit a home run every at bat or to get on base every at bat, just at that. Um, and just, you know, the excitement of the last couple of games, you know, game one was exciting game two. Unfortunately, I was at school and had a midterm during the late innings of that one. And so I didn't really get to catch the last four or five innings of game two. Um, so thanks MLB. Cause not only did you screw the travel schedule of these poor guys, I didn't get to see the damn game. Um, and I'm sure some people who had tickets for Thursday night didn't get to go on Friday afternoon because they work. Um, so game three, once again, pretty exciting. The Yankees were, you know, one strike away and Clark Schmidt, unfortunately gave up a, a two RBI single to Oscar Gonzalez on a pitch that just caught a little bit too much of the zone. Like, like, like I was saying before, people were upset that Clay Holmes didn't come in and said, and, you know, like I mentioned, Clark Schmidt has never worked back to back, but he was also one strike away from winning the game anyway. So, you know, just a good piece of hitting, like you tip your cap, you come back to the park tomorrow. And like I was saying, you just have to have faith in that, that Garrett Cole was going to come out and be the ace. And he was, um, and then Clay Holmes came in and did his job. Wani Peralta came in, did his job. And we'll see you tomorrow night in the Bronx. Um, I would absolutely love to play the Houston Astros. And the reason being, not that I was less afraid of the Mariners, because I don't think that's true. Um, but I want to beat these motherfuckers, man. We've lost to them two two times. One time in 2017, you know, when it didn't really seem like at the beginning of the year you knew what to expect from the Yankees. There was a lot of young guys. Uh, they, you know, they it was a surprise that year, the first year Boone was the manager, that they made it all the way. It's or excuse me, that was the last year Girardi was the manager. Um, it was a surprise that they got that far. And obviously we know what we know now about the Houston Astros cheating scandal that year. So who knows what would have happened if the playing field was fair, but they were the champion. So you have to respect it. Unfortunately, at this point, you know, MLB didn't take the anything away from the Astros. So we can't take anything away from the Astros via Twitter or podcasts or anything like that. But it is interesting to wonder. Um, but they, you know, they sent us home in 2017. They sent us home in 2019. Also potentially questionable with that walk-off home run of Aroldis Chapman. And speaking of Aroldis Chapman, by the way, 
I mean, I didn't have him here on my roster as my projected roster for the playoffs, but it's not because I didn't have him on the roster because he would get sent home, which is completely nuts. Uh, he just didn't show up for a work. Uh, maybe I did speak about this on the last episode, but he, he just, I, 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 still bizarre to me. I mean, don't think he would have made the roster regardless, but just what a wild scene that your closer of the last couple of years just, just decides if you're not going to put me on the roster, I'm not going to show up and be a part of the team. Um, so I hope that if the Yankees do end up going all the way this year, that he doesn't get a ring out of it. Um, all of that was to say, and honestly, I lost my train of thought. So Yankees need a win. I want to face Aroldis. I mean, I want to face the Astros because they've sent us home and it would be feel really good to make the world series and have it be because we beat them in the ALCS. Um, I think there's just, you know, as a fan base, I think we think there's no way we could beat the Astros. And I think in an earlier episode in the middle of the summer of this podcast, I was saying the most important thing to me to end the season is to beat the Astros in the record department because I wanted four of these ALCS games to be against the Astros in Yankee Stadium because we don't have good success in their ballpark. Um that didn't happen. So now the first two games are going to be very pivotal. You don't want to go down 2-0 because then you're required to win three straight games in New York just to send it back to Houston to try to win one of the last two. Um, I think you got to win one of those first two games in Houston. And I know I'm looking ahead past the Guardians, but I would love to think, you know, I, I think, like I said, I think we're the better team. I think we've outplayed them. Um, I think that overall for like the MLB purpose, they'd probably want the Yankees and the Astros more than they want the, the Astros and the guardians. Um, and I would just love for the, for our ticket to be punched to the world series for the first time since we were the champions in 2009, um, to be over those, those guys. I don't think that they're as good as those 2017 and 2019 teams. Um, and that's not because, you know, they were, you know, potentially using cheating systems in those years. Um, I think just overall as a team, like Jose Altuve just went 0 for 17 in this ALDS and they still won. Um, I don't have as much fear for Alex Bregman at this point. I think Kyle Tucker is a really good hitter. Um, and, you know, the rest of the team, Jeremy Pena was my rookie of the year, and I think he was, he is good as a shortstop, but I don't think he's better than Carlos Correa. Um, I don't think that the outfielders that they have right now are better than George Springer. Um, I know Kyle Tucker, I believe he's playing right field, though. They put Jordan out there and left, which I thought was a, a good move, and he didn't look as bad out there um, as I think people thought he would look um, and it doesn't really matter anyway because all they need him to do is hit and boy did he do that so the Yankees have game five with Cleveland tonight in the Bronx there will be 
50,000 people there losing their mind. I wish I could be there, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and hopefully there will be another pod going out maybe tomorrow uh, to review just that game. You know, it'll probably be a lot shorter from just talking about the Yankees. And hopefully it will be looking forward to Wednesday in Houston. But we'll see. Um, now we'll talk about Houston and Seattle, which it was a great series. Um, Seattle was one giant mistake, I think, away from really having a chance to knock off the Astros in this series. Um, and I want to talk about that mistake very quickly and then talk about Jordan Alvarez, who is clearly the scariest hitter in baseball. I mean, I know Aaron Judge hit 62 home runs, but I don't think, and maybe it's because I don't know what it's like to be on the other side of Aaron Judge. But for me, as a fan of the Yankees, when I know my team is playing Jordan Alvarez, it's basically like having David Ortiz up there. Like I am afraid of throwing any type of pitch that catches the plate to that guy because he can hit a home run on anything. I mean, if you look in this series, he has two home runs. One pitch obviously is right down the middle, but you still have to, you're down two runs in the ninth inning. Like it's not, it's not as easy as he made it look like he absolutely crushes that pitch for the walk-off home run, but it's still not easy. It really isn't. And he made it look very, very easy. And it's scary when that happens. Um, I think the only guys like in my entire life where it's just like, holy crap, do not throw that guy is Jordan Alvarez and maybe, maybe Jose Altuve 2017. But like, once again, we know what we know now about that. I, and David Ortiz, like just on the other home run that he hit, it's a pitch that's off the plate and it is a fastball. And I know he had two fastballs out in the, in these games, but that doesn't mean that in game one, just say, uh, you know, Nestor or Luis Severino starts against them and they throw a breaking pitch either, whether it be away from him by Nestor or into him by Severino. I mean, he can hit those pitches out too. So it's scary. I mean, I know the David Ortiz um, comparison could also be because of just the swing type and the fact that he's a big left-handed hitter. Um, but to me, it's more so the fact of, holy crap, I don't want that guy to come up in any relevant situation because I, I feel like we will lose that battle. Um, and when they were warming up Robbie Ray in game one, and you know, just knowing that he's a starter, I felt like it was a really scared move. I know that Seawald, your closer, and Munoz, your setup man, you know, Munoz came in in the game in the eighth and pitched well. And then Seawald came in in the ninth and gave up a bloop single, a hit by pitch, and got two outs. And I think it was just a scared move to take him out of the game there. Like, there's two outs. I know lefty, lefty, like, it makes sense, but given Jordan Alvarez's numbers against lefties and righties, there's not big of a, there's not that big of a difference anyway. So it just feel, it felt like a very scared move. Uh, the minute that they actually made the move, I looked at my family and I said, listen, guys, 
this game's over. He's going to hit a home run because this, anytime that you show the opponent your hand like that, of like, holy crap, we're so afraid to face you that we're going to take out our closer who's a right-hander just to bring in a starter who's never closed the game before because he's a lefty, and let's hope we get him out. And the ball ends up 440 feet away from home plate after two pitches. No surprise to me. Um, but apparently a surprise to Scott Cervais, the manager of the Mariners. So I didn't think they had much of a chance to win the series after that, let alone a game. And sure enough, they, they came out and played another good game in game two in Houston. But once again, seventh inning, uh, Jordan Alvarez comes up. I believe he was they were down one and he hits a two run home run to go up and the game's over. And then, you know, game three, um, an awesome game. Eight, anytime you go 18 innings of or 17 innings of no score, um, it's, it's a great pitcher's duel. I think they, they put the stat up this morning on, on the MLB Twitter account that the Houston Astros bullpen recorded 12 innings of no run ball, um, which is pretty awesome. Julio Rodriguez made a great diving play. I think that was in the 14th or the 15th to keep the Mariners alive, but they just couldn't get any runs in. Jeremy Pena finally hit a home run in the 18th. And Lurie Garcia, the guy with the long bullpen, uh, with the long windup for the Astros, came in and finished the deal. And now they are awaiting the winner of tonight's Guardians and Yankee game. Hopefully it'll be the Yankees. Um, but we will see. I wish I had more for you guys on the Phillies and the Padres. I really wish I did. But like I said, I didn't see it. I, and I don't want to just talk out of my ass for that. Um, so the rest of the episode is just going to be Jets, Giants, and my picks. My picks are awful right now. And I'm honestly not that surprised by that. Because I've been picking all these games on Monday um, before the week starts. But honestly, it's seemingly such a good trend in the NFL. Because like, like my record's that bad, guys. It really is. Uh, going into this week, I was 2-6-1. and one. And the picks I gave out, unless the Cowboys came in the back door, went 0-5, which means I'm 2-11-1, which, if you fade it, like that's better than anyone who could give you picks any week of the year, anywhere. You're never going to get anything like that, and especially not for free. So we could be on to hear something here, folks. It could be fade the Go Be Great podcast for, for NFL, but ride it for college football. Uh, I did go three and two this week, which brings my record now to six and five, which I know it's not that good. Um, but a lot of, you know, the, my two losses this week were by a combined four points. Um, and I had two dogs that were outright winners so i'm on to something in college football i have no idea what i'm doing in the nfl and i'm sure it will keep going like that and so you might want to be paying attention to these nfl picks um, going down the stretch once again for this week i'm going to do the point you know the confidence system and once again for this week i'm going to go into it blind because i think for the content it will be pretty good I probably should have prepared an NF, uh, the college football one um, just off the sheer fact that there's so many games. So like just kind of scrolling through it on, on my phone probably won't 
isn't the best way to go about it. Um, but what a week in college football. I mean, Tennessee wins a big game against Alabama, 52 to 49. Uh, they end up now as the three ranking in the AP college football poll, which it should line up for a great matchup on November 5th with Georgia. Hopefully both teams will still be undefeated by then. And I think the first college football ranking comes out the Tuesday before that matchup. So as long as both teams are undefeated, I expect that to be one versus two. I think Hendon Hooker a couple weeks ago, I told you maybe would be a Heisman contender. I think he is the Heisman contender right now with CJ Stroud being a close second. And I'm guessing that the odds for Hendon Hooker are still pretty high. So I jump on those now before they get even with Stroud. Um, And so, you know what? Maybe I'll do my picks first before I talk about the Jets and Giants because I do have a lot of raw feelings about about both teams. Um, Unfortunately, again this week, I was at work during the 1 o'clock slate and listened to the Jets on the radio. Um, Fortunately for me, that that strategy is 3-0. I've worked three afternoons in a row at the golf course on Sunday. I've listened to three games on the radio um, with Bob Wischusen and Marty Lyons giving me the call on 98.7 on ESPN in New York. Um, and that's three wins. And two of them, not even close. We blew them out. Um, so a lot of good vibes around New York football right now in a combined 12 games. The teams have won nine games, um, which I don't think anyone had them slated for at the beginning of the year. So it's just an exciting time. I don't think anybody thought not only that these teams were going to win a lot of games, but I think people thought that they were the bottom half of roster composition, both of them. And I think in terms of the Giants defense, they might be showing that they were underrated. And I think in terms of the Jets defense, it's the same story. Uh, The Giants offense, once again, they did enough to win. Saquon Barkley still looks like the most improved player by a lot. Um, But other than that, like Wondell Robinson scored today. But like other than, you know, I don't think that those skill position players for the Jet uh, for the Giants, excuse me, are NFL caliber and they keep winning. And so it's amazing right now that these two teams are playing just prideful football, like because in the last couple of years, that wasn't the case. Maybe on the Giants side. I mean, I know the last couple of years, even though they lost a lot of games, they were still in a lot of those games. But some of these Jets games the last couple of years, I mean, you didn't even want to watch. You knew what the score was going to be before the game started. Like you knew you were going to lose by three touchdowns last year. The Jets right now are slated, you know, they're ready to go to to Denver next week in the four o'clock slate, and they're going to be dogs in that game. But last year they were dogs in that game, and it just felt like, well, these two teams are supposed to be pretty even, but how are we going to get blown out in this game? Because that's what we're, that's what we are known for. And that's what happened. We went to Denver in week three last year and lost 26, nothing to a Teddy Bridgewater led Broncos team. So like there used to be times where the Jets 
looked like they could stay in a game or should be in a close game with this team and got blown out for the last couple of years. And so this is a really, really fun, awesome, nice change because I, nobody, nobody thought that this was going to happen. It's, it's, it's just the fact of the matter. Nobody thought that these teams would have nine combined wins through six weeks, but they do. And we are excited for it. So I'm going to do my same confidence picks. Um, I'm going to go down the college slate, do those real quick. Then I'll do the NFL. And like I said, I'm six and five on college football. Um, I am two, 11 and one on NFL. I don't know how it's that bad, but like I said, this could be a very great opportunity for the people at home to make some money. So I'm going to do, I did one primetime game for college football last week, and then I did four for Saturday. So I'm going to stay with that trend. Um, Georgia Tech plays Virginia this week. Georgia Tech is the a three and a half point favorite. I think that Virginia football is just God awful this year. Um, they have lost at home against Louisville. They have lost. Actually, they've lost the last three games in a row against Syracuse, Duke, and Louisville. The only game that was close was actually against Syracuse, which is probably the best of those three opponents. Um, Virginia had the bye, but it is kind of a short bye with them them playing on Thursday. Um, meanwhile, Georgia Tech has been a lot better and in the one game against a common opponent, which was Duke, Georgia Tech has won and Virginia has lost. Um, I'm going to go with Georgia Tech minus three and a half in this game as my Thursday night pick. So now I'm going to select three to four games. Um, of college football picks it'll probably be four because i'm in new jersey so unless i end up out of the state i'm not going to be able to pick this one but i already know i'm going to pick it um and i forgot to really mention this on last week's pod maybe the news came out a little bit after but Rutgers moved on from sean gleason as their offensive coordinator and you're probably wondering why i know that or why you should care and the reason why you should care is because the Nunzio Campanelli era has once again started in Piscataway. Nunzio Campanelli was my head coach at Bergen Catholic um, between 2015 and 2017. Um, and I think he's an offensive guru. I've seen it with my own eyes. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights are three-point favorites against the Indiana Hoosiers in um, Piscataway. On Saturday at 12 o'clock, Rutgers is favored by three. Uh, and they had a buy in between weeks of changing their coordinator, which means he has had two weeks to implement what he wants to do and prepare for Indiana. I think that means Rutgers could beat them by 14 points. And I also am going to make a prediction that there will be at, light, at least one trick play for a touchdown for, from Rutgers. Um, 
he is known for, and I hate to be, I know that Indiana people won't listen to this at all, so it's fine. But he is known for a double reverse that goes back to the quarterback. And then there's an option between throwing the ball deep down the middle of the field or throwing the wheel route to the first guy that got the, the sweep. So we'll see if he likes to, if he wants to use that one. Also, used to have one where he had the left tackle uncovered and go straight up the field, but you would have to have your, you know, we were able to run it because at the time, Johnny Langan, who was on Rutgers as well, um, had number 21. So when he lined up as the left tackle, um, he didn't have to report as eligible because he was already wearing an eligible number. And we kind of just caught them by surprise and scored a touchdown. Um, so I'm excited for Nunzio Campanelli and Rutgers uh, because I think he, at some point, is going to be a coach in the in the in college football. I think he's a good recruit. I think he could be a good recruiter. He's recruited enough of his own players to get to Rutgers and has recruited the area well. Like I said, I think in terms of an X's and O's standpoint, he is up there, and um, I'm excited. I'm going to go back to the Kansas well again, plus eight and a half against Baylor. I know they lost against Oklahoma and didn't cover, um, but Oklahoma is better than Baylor, in my opinion. I think last week I had West Virginia against Baylor, and West Virginia won outright. Uh, Shapin, the starting quarterback for Baylor, went out of the game with an injury, and the backup was bad. On the other hand, I think Daniels from Kansas is going to be back, so you might want to jump on this number before it goes back down because clearly they have a big difference between Bean and Daniels. Bean did good again this week, but he did throw two picks, and they lost by 10, and I can't help but think that if that kid, Jalen Daniels, um, who is 78 for 117 this season with 1,072 passing yards and 11 passing touchdowns, to just one pick that maybe they either win that game or they end up um, just staying closer and covering the number. Also, the next win for Kansas will be the one that clinches the bowl season for them. They just need six to get in. Um, And not that I think that they could lose the next four games after Baylor, but Oklahoma State is ranked. Texas Tech, I saw their offense play with the the redshirt freshman quarterback. I don't even remember his name. Um, And they looked really good, and that game is at Texas Tech. Um, Kansas versus Texas, I mean, we'll see. Those are two good teams. And then Kansas versus Kansas State um, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. That could be a good game as well. That could go to either team, so. I just want to see Kansas in the bowl season after a 5-0 and start, and I think a seven-game losing streak would be awful. And I, like I said, I think that the, their best chance to win the next five weeks is this game against Baylor. And so they are my second pick. Um, I guess that would just leave one or two more for me to, to snuff out here for you guys. And like I said, my record as of right now is – Five and zero. Ooh, I kind of like this one. Liberty is hosting BYU, uh, 
and Liberty is a five-point dog at home. I know that BYU going over to Liberty is a far trip. And I think, I just feel like BYU has a big home field advantage. Um, They have lost the last two weeks in a row. And that could be a sign that they either outplayed what they were that what they should have been in the earlier parts of the year with that win against Baylor. Also, maybe Baylor was just overrated at the time, which clearly as they are three and three right now. Um, I'm not going to tell you that I know much about this Liberty team besides the fact that Hugh Freeze is the coach. I'm merely playing the number and the records just being like, all right, well, Liberty's six and one. BYU's four and three. Liberty's the home team, and you get the points. Um, I just kind of like that. And I think Hugh Freeze as a coach has shown that he is a really good coach. I know that, like, like I said, Liberty doesn't play in a great conference, but when they played Wake Forest, they kept it to a one-score game. Um, that's their only loss of the season so far. And now they have a big test against BYU, and maybe if you win – you can be ranked, um, and I'm sure they would love that for recruiting purposes and also just to you know, have to figure if they are able to beat BYU, they win the last four games of the season, end up 11-1, and one, and you get a pretty good bowl game out of that. Um, and so I like that there. College game day is going to Oregon this week. I'm not going to pick that game. Um, so, so far, I have Liberty, I have Rutgers minus three, I have Kansas plus eight and a half, and I also have on Thursday night, Georgia Tech minus three and a half. I'm going to give out one more pick because I see another one that I really like, and that is Oklahoma State is plus four and a half hosting Texas. Um, that's at 3.30 on ABC Saturday. Texas has two losses, and I know that B. John Robinson is probably the best player on the field, and Quinn Ewers is the better quarterback of the two. But Texas, they only beat Iowa State by three, and I thought Iowa State was a bad team. Maybe they were a little high off of the 49-0 win over Oklahoma. But this is the best team that Texas has played now since their game against Alabama on um, September 10th. So they haven't played a go- as good of opponent as Oklahoma State in over a month. And they lost one of those games and played close with Iowa State, who I thought was a bad team after the last couple of weeks. And so I think even if Texas does win by more than a field goal, I just don't think it seems likely. And I want to take Oklahoma State behind Spencer Sanders, who is a really good dual threat quarterback and maybe gives Texas defense a little bit of a hard time. So those are my picks. Um, I would say that the most confident pick I have is actually Georgia Tech on Thursday. And then in order between Rutgers, Kansas, um, Oklahoma State, 
and liberty is Kansas one, Rutgers two, um, Liberty three, and Oklahoma State four. So those are the picks in college football. Now we'll go to Sunday and the NFL. Once again, folks, these picks are like unbelievable right now. Two, 11, and one. So please be on the lookout for the way these lines look at the end of the week because maybe they move in our in your favor. But um, I'm going to pick the Jets plus three, and I hope that this is the one that can break the trend of us being awful so far. I, I believe in the Jets, folks. I'm sorry. Um, Zach Wilson has not made a mistake yet. I know he hasn't necessarily lit it up, but he hasn't made a mistake, and that's big, and that's important. And, you know, he's made some questionable plays, but it hasn't resulted in an interception. Um, so that's good. The defense, all of a sudden, has picked it up in the last couple of weeks. Quinn and Williams, ever since the defensive coordinator, Jeff Ulbricht, said how good of a player Quinn and Williams was, but it's unfortunate because he's always on the sideline huffing and puffing at the end of the game. Well, Quinn and Williams today had two or three sacks, a blocked, a blocked field goal, um, a forced fumble, and he was the best player on the field for the Jets defense that gave up one touchdown to Aaron Rodgers, and it was almost no touchdowns because on third and eight, a phantom illegal contact penalty came against our captain, C.J. Mosley. So I'm not worried there. Um, and the Broncos have just looked bad. They're going to play again tonight, and no one will watch that game, at least not in New York, because um, the, the Yankees will be on, and no one wants to see Broncos Nation let's ride into – a game against the LA Chargers, to be completely honest with you. I think both of those teams are just not that good this year. Um, and I would just love to steamroll them, go to five and two. Like we've already put the we've already put the Jets on the map as like we're here for real, I think, after this week. But another win and a four-game winning streak, which you know, a three-game winning streak hasn't happened in New York since 2010. So I can only imagine when the last four game winning streak was. Um, so that's my number one confidence pick. That one's at four o'clock on CBS next week. The other two picks I'm going to take, I'm going to take Titans minus two. The Colts lost to the Jaguars. The Titans are coming off the bye. I think Derrick Henry coming off the bye is going to be rejuvenated, run for 150 yards. And the Tennessee Titans just have to win that game by one field goal. And I think they'll be able to do that at home in front of their fans in Nashville. Um, and last but not least, the team that can never stop covering the Atlanta Falcons are going into Cincinnati um, as a six point dog. Both teams are three and three. Marcus Mariota has proven to be a good enough quarterback right now for the Falcons that they have played a one-score game in every game, but this week where they beat the 49ers by two touchdowns, um, Marcus Mariota finished the game 13 for 14 passing for 130 yards and two touchdowns. Um, he also ran for 50 yards and a touchdown. 
and Arthur Smith was seen in the stadium buying beers for his play, or I guess maybe he didn't have to buy them if they were in their own stadium, but buying beers for his players and drinking them in the stadium, in the concourse, basically, after the game. So that was pretty awesome to see. I think that the Bengals just played a game against the Saints where it was close. They played another game against the Ravens where it was close. It just seems like even if they're going to win these games, they're not going to be able to blow anyone out. Um, you know, they have won two games by more than two scores, but it was against the Jets in the last Joe Flacco start and against the Dolphins when Tua was injured early on in the game and then Teddy Bridgewater came in. So I think the Falcons have shown that in terms of the run game, they've been real good all season. And just for that alone, I think they can keep it within a touchdown right now. It's at six. Maybe people start betting Cincinnati and it goes all the way up to seven and a half. I think if you see that that's the trigger to bet the Falcons. So like I said, folks, I've been giving out picks for the last couple of weeks. They've been really bad in the NFL. Um, maybe this is the week it turns around, but if it's not, um, you know what has been going on, and maybe you should be going the other way. So I just want to talk about the Jets and the Giants to finish it off, folks. Um, both teams win today. Both teams looking better than I think anyone thought they'd look at this point. Um, I had the Jets at 9-8 and eight at the beginning of the year, and I had the Giants at 4-13. and 13. So the Giants have already exceeded the expectation through six games. And the Jets are on pace to do a little bit better than that, which, I mean, listen, people thought I was crazy for saying that they'd go nine and eight. Um, and you know what? Maybe I was at the time. But now if you kind of look at this Jets schedule the next couple of weeks, um, they play the Broncos who just haven't looked as good as you would think think they would look with Russell Wilson as the quarterback and then the Patriots who knows what will happen with Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi and Brian Hoyer um, but I think at this point unless Mac Jones is fully healthy they're going to start Bailey Zappi until they lose games like he's done more than well enough um, Ramondre Stevenson did another good job today in the run game as did the offensive line against the Browns um, you know, Damian Harris as well when he's healthy. So the, the Jets have the Broncos, the Patriots, and the Bills before a bye week and a trip to Foxborough with the Patriots again. So two games with the Patriots, uh, one game with the Bills, and a game with the Broncos are the next four games. But then they have the two NFC North opponents, the Bears and the Vikings, before they go back to Buffalo. And then the last four games of the year are the Lions, the Jaguars, the Seahawks, and the Dolphins. And the Dolphins, after starting 3-0, are now 3-3. So, especially in the last four games, there are three winnable games right there. And the Jets already have four wins. And then they just have to win, you know, two of the last, two of the other uh, seven remaining. And I don't think they're going to go two and five in those games based on the way they've played so far this year. Um, like I said, I was at work, so I didn't get to see these games. Only the NFL 
highlights of them posted on YouTube after the game. Um, Zach Wilson only finished with 110 passing yards, but like I said at the beginning of the episode, he didn't make a mistake, um, and that's important because we have given away plenty of points and interceptions and fumbles in the last few years, and it makes the game impossible to win um, if your quarterback isn't making safe, smart decisions. Um, Brees Hall, breakout star, I think. 20 carries for 116 yards and a touchdown this week after he had 200 yards from scrimmage the week before. He looks like he's hard to bring down. He looks versatile, and he has emerged as a starter over Michael Carter, not because Michael Carter is not good. In this game, he has six carries for 41 yards, um, but because I think Brees Hall is the real deal, and that is good because the Jets used a high pick on Brees Hall and to use a high pick on a running back in this day and age is a little risky, um, but it is seemingly paying off for right now. I think you're going to look back at this draft folks for both teams, the jets and the giants, and just kind of laugh. Like I'm not entirely sure what Trayvon Walker and Aiden Hutchinson have done for the Jaguars and the lions respectively out of the one and two slots. And I'm sure that they've done fine, but, I think overall, Kayvon Thibodeau was the better player of the three. I know Hutchinson had such a good year at Michigan that it was, you know, pretty impossible to not take him. Um, and I, I think people thought that he would go one based on his season, um, even was able to get invited to the Heisman, which doesn't often happen for a defensive end. Um, but Trayvon Walker out of nowhere went one. Um and Kayvon Thibodeau fell to the Giants at five. And I think overall, he is the best of those three players. And he had a big strip sack of Lamar Jackson this week to seal the game um, after missing a couple of weeks early on in the year. So we'll see how his progression goes throughout this season. But a big play and a big moment early on for the Oregon uh, pass rusher and defensive end. So happy for him. But on the Jets side of things, Derek Stingley went one pick ahead of Sauce Gardner, and he stinks. And Sauce Gardner, they're not even they're not even ranking him against rookie corners. They're not even ranking him against rookies anywhere. They're talking about this guy as a transcendent talent in the NFL as a whole. He's making defensive stop. I mean, he's making tackles. He's swatting the ball away. He had a pick last week. He almost had a pick six this week, but the ball barely hit off the turf. Um, just an awesome, awesome player. And it's so huge to hit on picks like this. The Jets, at the end of the day, traded away Sam Darnold and Jamal Adams. And they ended up with Sauce Gardner, Brees Hall, and Garrett Wilson. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that you hit on three of these picks after getting rid of those two losers. Let's just call them what they are. I like Sam Darnold coming out. He stunk. He was a loser. Jamal Adams, he could go play another 10 years in Seattle. Guess what? He's a loser. He thinks he's a winner. He's not. And he gets injured. And, I'm, you know, that's not his fault. But he gets injured a lot. So, you know what? He is a loser. So, the Jets are winning. And I'm excited. And not only are they winning, 
They're putting teams away, and that is huge. I mean, they were seven-and-a-half-point dogs today against the, the Packers, and the Packers had won 15 straight at Lambeau Field. And it didn't matter. The Jets went in, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. In the first half of both of these games for the New York football teams, they seemed like they were hanging in with the other team, but that they were slightly maybe at least on the offensive side for the Jets overmatched. Like the Jets weren't moving the ball outside of a couple of run plays for Brees Hall. Um, they gave away the three points at the end of the half after they tried a field goal and didn't get it and gave Aaron Rodgers a short field to get into field goal position himself. But nonetheless, um, you know, they hung in. It was 3-3 in New York, in Lambeau at half. It was 10-7 at MetLife at half for the Giants and the Ravens. Um, and then all of a sudden, like, the Giants were down 20-10, to and you thought it was over, but Daniel Jones leads them right down the field, no problem, 20-17. to And, you know, I think a big thing for the Giants all year has been, like, the coaching staff is making these players believe that they can win the game. And when you have a belief that you can win the game and you play with pride and you play with 100% effort on every play, you can find yourself in the game. And that's exactly what happened to the New York Giants today. They didn't play better than the Ravens for a lot of that game. They gave up a lot of rushing yards. They gave up a lot of rushing yards to, to Kenyon Drake. They gave up some rushing yards to Lamar Jackson. But at the end of the day, a lot of these Drives got down into the Giants' territory, but they resulted in field goals. That's big. Playing bend-don't-break defense in the NFL is big, um, especially when your team isn't supposed to be in the top half of talent in the league, and they probably aren't still. So this is very impressive for the Giants. They held in the game, down 10, a big drive for the quarterback, goes down, scores. And finally... The Giants got one break all day, and it was the fact that a snap went past Lamar Jackson, so he had to pick it up deep in the backfield, and he decided to just chuck it downfield to one of his receivers, and it was picked off. And the Giants did not squander that opportunity. They took the ball from the 15-yard line. They scored, and then Kayvon Thibodeau on the second play of the next drive gets a strip sack, and the game's over. So... Awesome, jo awesome job by the Giants to take a win um, at home against the Ravens, who I think are a pretty good football team. Um, and now the Giants have a schedule that, you know, I was talking about the Jets schedule and saying, well, we could beat the Broncos and maybe the, the, the Patriots. But, I mean, holy crap, the Giants, after this win especially, like now – Jacksonville is probably the hardest game they have in the next three weeks because, or four weeks, excuse me, because the other three weeks are in Seattle, a bye week versus Houston, and then versus Detroit. And you have to think that they could go three and one in those games based on the way they've played this year. Like, like I said, in this game, in the Packers game, in the Cowboys game, and in the Titans game, the Giants have not been the better team on the field, and they have won those games. And 
it's just it's very clear like i said last week that coaching in the nfl can do you a, a big service because you're getting the best out of these players they believe they can win and if you put them in the right scenario to win and they go out and execute that's all on you as a coach like these players are not there's some difference between you know the 30th best team and the first best team in terms of talent obviously but i'd say in the middle of the league like so, uh, there's not a big difference between these teams and so for the giants to be 5 and 1 right now they're headed to jacksonville and then seattle which are two tough trips but then they get two home games versus the texans and the lions in early november and then that brings you to Thanksgiving against the Cowboys. So I think that the Giants are making the playoffs. I mean, they're five and one. You know, they would have to have a pretty detrimental end to the year. And, you know, they still play the Commanders twice. Uh, they play the Viking. Like, they, they could win some of these games, folks. And, and they could really find themselves with maybe a home game in the playoffs. Who knows? I don't. I don't think they're going to be the one seed in the NFC. Um, so I think they'll play wild card weekend. But like Gi- Giants fans at the beginning of the year probably would have signed up for seven and 10 and some meaningful games in the, in the middle of December. And so the fact that it looks like this right now, where like every week, even though we are winning, we're going into it, just hopefully we play a close game and we win. And now all of a sudden, you know, playoffs could be on the horizon in new york so the giants look great uh the jets quinnon williams looks like a pro bowl player and an all pro player avt as well um Brees hall probably the rookie of the year on offense in the afc so far sauce gardner probably the rookie of the year on defense and that is just a huge testament to Joe Douglas. Um, one more thing I think about the Jets is Robert Sala really, like, by saying the whole thing about the receipts, like, he put himself and the Jets into a huge scope of this season. And if things went wrong, he was going to get fired. And there was going to be a lot of questions about this team and like what to do going forward. And since then the jets have went three and one. No, they've went four and four and one because that he said that after the first game of the season, uh, they won game two, they lost game three and now they've won three in a row. So They've went four and one since he said about keeping receipts. Um, and I, I just think that he, that means that he had a lot of confidence in this team and like what he saw and how he could coach them up. And he seems like one of the biggest cheerleaders on the sideline for these guys on defense, especially like I saw a play today where Quincy Williams came down and, and crushed, I think it was Aaron Jones on like a slant or a, a drag route. And you see Robert, you can hear Robert Sala on the hot mic, like screaming and yelling, and you can see him jumping up and down so fired up. And I think just kind of for the group of these guys who are all young guys, 
fired up. They love to play with each other. They love football. He is just the perfect guy for this team. Like, you know, you, you see, just take, for example, Bill Belichick, who had a milestone win today, and they tried to give him the game ball, and he didn't want it. Like, I think a coach like that would would turn this team off. But because he feeds off of their energy and they feed off of his, you know, today they block a punt for a touchdown. Like, this shit hasn't happened for the New York Jets. It's usually going against us. And for once to see it going our way and to see that, like, we have clearly improved the roster and are now, I believe, the three seed in the AFC right now, which is just completely nuts. After six weeks, the Jets are in a playoff spot and hosting a game at MetLife Stadium. Like, what happens What happens if on wildcard weekend the Giants play on Saturday and the Jets play on Sunday? I that would be the craziest weekend of, of there's nothing going on in January around here. Usually the teams are home playing golf. If just doing nothing with themselves, who knows what they're doing. They're out playing football on the first week of the playoffs in the NFL. And right now, if the season ended today, they are. So it's been the same story for the last couple of weeks, folks. The Yankees have won on a Sunday. The Jets and the Giants have won on a Sunday. I've been saying how the Giants and the Jets are looking better, and it's so great, and it's exciting. And now it's crazy, but I think there's some expectations for these two teams going forward, um, and we'll see how they react to that p- part of their season because they haven't had that so far. Another thing I think for the Jets personally Um, or I guess exclusively is another big test is beating the Patriots because they have gotten bruised and battered by the Patriots um, over the last couple of years. I think the last time that the Jets beat the Patriots at home was 2015 for the Eric Decker overtime touchdown win. I was there. Um, So that was seven years ago. And I don't think we have went into New England and won in a while either. So that's a big test. That one is next week after the Broncos. So two games away. Um, Well, I believe that is all, folks. I know it was a little short, um, but I will be back at some point to talk about the Yankees um, series ending and hopefully not the season, just the series, and then looking ahead to Houston. Um, that would be more than ideal. I would be fired up for that, but we'll see what happens. Um, we'll talk more football as the season progresses. Uh, the basketball season starts this week. The hockey season started. We'll see if I have coverage on that. I'm not really sure. Um, and I believe that is an episode folks go be great. Um, and go Yankees. Thank you guys.